It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another Round. We had a big bear of a man who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Hey, greetings to you, music lovers, thrill seekers, and conversationalists all across the fruited plain, the shut-down fruited plain. And I have to tell you something, folks. I'm really happy to see more and more people talking about opening up now. I mean, I was out there all alone. I was out there all as I usually am, because that's what being in a cutting edge of societal evolution means. But all kinds of people are coming up with great ideas, and we're going to throw some of our own into the mix today. This also, I I, I must say, this is going to be a bit of an organizational challenge. You know, someday I'm going to tell you all how this program comes together, and you will not believe it. And I am amazed that I have not had a health breakdown between 11.30 and noon every day for the past 10 years. That's not a complaint, but it is intense. And I've, you know, I've I've worked all night the night before. And then all more at 11.30 to noon, it all comes together and I've got to put it all together. I'm not complaining. I'm not going to tell you the sausage is made. I'm just telling you that it's an organizational uh, challenge. So it may be hopscotching all over the place today. But you, And you have to listen all three hours to get it, which you do anyway. So, And that's why there are three hours to make sure that we get, uh, get it all in um, and get to it all. As, as always, folks, thank you so much for being with us. Cannot thank you enough. Uh, it's such a great ongoing pleasure and uplifting aspect of my life to be able to be here and to know that you're out there. And to know that it all uh, has meaning, it's it's terrific. Telephone number, if you want to be on the program, is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbow at eibnet.com. Would it be okay to point out that um, last week was not as bad as everybody was predicting it was going to be? I mean, I think that's pretty good news to have to report. I mean, it wasn't Pearl Harbor last week. Remember, they told us the next week 
next week and a half, next two weeks, going to be very, very bad. It wasn't as bad. None of it has been as bad as has been forecast. None of it has been as bad as has been predicted, which, of course, is a classic trait of the doomsayers. Now, it is, it is fascinating today. The drive-by media, the Democrat Party, the health and medical elites have all decided to unify around a premise today and they actually got started late last week over the weekend, that Trump was unprepared for all of this. That Trump was the last guy to see anything coming. That President Trump got duped, that President Trump wasn't paying attention, that President Trump is incompetent. And all this is, is a continuation of the failed efforts to get Trump on Trump-Russia collusion, to get Trump on Stormy Daniels, to get Trump on Avenatti, to get Trump on Michael Cohen, to get Trump on the phone call with Ukraine, whatever. It is just a continuation of that. And this shutdown, as advocated by many of the people continuing to advocate for it, this shutdown is a political effort to get rid of Donald Trump in the election this November. Now, it's interesting. Catherine Harridge at CBS News, she used to be at Fox, she's at CBS News, and Mr. Barr, the attorney general, with his appearances on Fox News late last week. Catherine Harridge's story was said to be a scoop on Friday afternoon. Newly unredacted footnotes from the Inspector General Horowitz report on Crossfire Hurricane revealed the FBI was aware the Steele dossier was bogus. That's not a scoop. You who've been listening to this program regularly know full well the Steele dossier was bogus. That it was bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton, a Democrat National Committee. That they used uh, Fusion GPS as the cutout to pay the law firm Perkins Coie that made the financial connections. So as to give plausible deniability to the Hillary campaign and DNC. The Steele dossier was bogus. The Russian sources in it were bogus. There was nothing in it that was ever true. And yet we get some late Friday afternoon scoop unredacted footnotes from Inspector General Horowitz's report reveal the FBI knew it. The FBI knew that portions of the... Folks, this is crucially important. I want you... you may, what, wait, Rush, what about coronavirus? Stick with me. It's all related. It's all related to the effort that they have mounted since... Well, I think it's before Election Day 2016. It's a, you know what Barr said? Barr said it's one thing for these people to try to sabotage a campaign, but they didn't stop. After Trump was elected, they continued the efforts to sabotage the presidency. And they all knew. That's, if, if, you want, if you want to put a different flavor on this, rather than the fact that there was some kind of big scoop on Friday afternoon showing the FBI was aware the Steele dossier was disinformation. Here's the way to put this in perspective. 
Obama knew. Hillary Clinton knew. Joe Biden knew. James Comey knew and was an instigator. John Brennan, Obama's CIA director, he knew and was intimately involved in the effort to get rid of Trump. Andrew McCabe at the FBI knew. Peter Strzok, Stroke, Smirk, and his paramour Lisa Page knew. The CIA at large knew. MI5 knew. MI6 knew. The professors at Cambridge knew. The professors at Oxford knew. The professors at Harvard knew. The State Department knew. They all knew that Trump was innocent. They all knew there had been no collusion. They all knew the Russians had not tampered with Trump's campaign or his presidency. They all knew that what they were doing was bogus. They all knew that what they were saying was bogus. They continued to smear Donald Trump, and to this day they continue to smear Donald Trump by saying he wasn't prepared for coronavirus when he was and was the first. It was Fauci and others, as you will hear in a moment, who in January, February, March were assuring everybody there was nothing to fear. This effort to prepare or to to portray Trump as, as unprepared is as bogus as the Steele dossier. It's as bogus as the phone call to Ukraine's president. It's as bogus as anything involving Stormy Daniels, the Trump-Russia collusion, bogus hoax, which was a silent coup. They all knew. Tom Fitton has done yeoman's work in uncovering uh, uh, all of this, and he has tweeted that they all knew. They all knew Trump was innocent. They all knew they were lying. They all knew Trump didn't do it. And they continued, as Barr said, they sabotaged. And it's ongoing. The reason I'm talking about this is that it hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. They are continuing the effort to get rid of Donald Trump. And I'm, folks, I'm here to tell you that those advocating, many, not all, many of the people advocating this ongoing economic shutdown are doing it in hopes it'll damage President Trump. There is no question about it. this. is so unsustainable. It is so unnecessary to this extent. But the real key is whenever anybody brings up any idea, any strategy, any plan to reopen, they universally reject it all. If you see anybody universally reject the concept of reopening, then I'm telling you they're telegraphing their politics. I'll tell you something else that's going on here. The American left is looking at this shutdown and they're saying, you know what, this is great. This is a forerunner of the Green New Deal. They're saying we are proving that we can shut down this economy, clean the air, stop pollution, stop CO2s, eliminate the use of fossil fuels, and still, by virtue of government spending, i.e. socialism, keep people fed without them having to go to work. 
They are saying that this is exactly what needs to happen to save the planet and that we are in the midst of proving that it can be done. And the proof is that we can get people fed and we can keep them secure and safe in their homes, not doing, and we can fine them for going to church now. In Michigan, you can't even go see a friend without being fined. In Michigan, you can't go to your vacation home. The governor there is out of control. They're pointing out that this is a golden opportunity to save the planet. And I'm sure enough, reading my tech blogs over the weekend, they're already maps, charts, and graphs demonstrating how clean, much cleaner the air is in New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey since the shutdown. The left is on the march. They have many objectives. All of their objectives are tied, most of them, I guess, but many of their objectives are tied to this shutdown continuing. At the top of the objective list is getting rid of Donald Trump. Now, the, the next opportunity, they think, is going to be the election in November. I don't think they seriously believe that they can start brand new impeachment hearings. And Pelosi says she's not bringing Congress back to the end of May. So there's no way they're going to be able to mount new investigations and new hearings, new witnesses. They don't have enough time. So the election is it. That's what they're targeting. That's where they get rid of Trump. And that's what they're trying to do in maintaining the economic shutdown, which is not sustainable for you. This, this, this simply cannot go on. And it's time to start paying attention anytime you see it to people advocating for it going on. Let me share with you some headlines uh, that are indicative of what's coming here. New York Times, he could have seen what was coming behind Trump's failure on the virus. They go on and detail Trump's travel, but how he got fooled at every turn, how he wasn't paying attention, how he didn't care because he doesn't care about people, how his instincts are bad, how he listened to the advice of the wrong people. They have anonymous sources in this story. They don't have any evidence in this story. They're misrepresenting the Peter Navarro memo, supposedly warning Trump of massive amounts of death that Trump ignored and didn't pay any attention to because Trump is incompetent. We've got audio sound bites to back this up, as you will hear. But there's a counter to all of this that's mounting. There is a massive effort underway to reject the left-wing political claims And they are taking place under the guise of being public service oriented and health related. The New York Times wants you to think that their only concern here is public health and that Trump endangered it and risked it. No desire for you to understand that this is a political objective. From a website called Tech Startups, did public health officials mislead us? Pull quote, coronavirus, not a major threat for the people in the United States. This is not something the citizens should be worried about. Who said that? You can get to pull, 
You think it's a pull quote from the tech startups? Let me read it to you. Coronavirus is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something the citizens should be worried about. Who said that? Answer, Dr. Fauci. January 21st, right in the middle of when the New York Times says that Trump was unprepared, that Trump was asleep at the wheel, Trump wasn't paying attention, Trump doesn't care about people. It was not the only time, Dr. Fauci. And by the way, folks, when it comes to his health credentials and qualifications, no objection for me to Dr. Fauci. I have no intention of attempting to discredit Dr. Fauci in his area of expertise. But I'm sorry, whether we reopen schools or have elections or... Reopen the economy. I don't think Dr. Fauci should be turned to as the decision maker. The fact that the media goes to Dr. Fauci for the answer to these questions is also a political indication of the objective at hand. Coronavirus is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something the citizens should be worried about, said Dr. Fauci on January 21st. He was asked about how deadly the virus is and if Americans should be worried. It was not the only time that Dr. Fauci made such a misleading statement. In an audio from January 26th, five days later, Dr. Fauci assured Americans that the coronavirus is nothing to worry about. Quote, the American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. Dr. Fauci said this. On the Cats Roundtable, hosted by John Katsimatidis, or Katsimatidis, a grocery store magnet in New York, Dr. Fauci added, it isn't something the American people need to worry about or be frightened about. Notwithstanding what Dr. Fauci said, Trump issued a travel ban five days later. Now, how does Dr. Fauci get away with this? If you want to talk about promoting unpreparedness, How does Dr. Fauci get away with not being held accountable for the things he said? And he's not alone. Other people were saying similar things back then. Many of them Democrats in New York and in California. Why does only President Trump face any accountability? And why is it that President Trump's the only guy said to be unprepared here? Because this is a political hit job taking place right before our very eyes. I got to take a brief break. We will be back after this. Okay, so in the brief break, or the, the, the brief segment we have, let me review here. Coronavirus is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something the citizens should be worried about. Dr. Fauci, January 21st. He later said... The American people, five days later, January 26th, the American people should not be worried or frightened by coronavirus. This is a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about. 
Five days later, after Fauci says no big deal, Trump issued a travel ban on China. Five days later. Today, Saturday, all weekend, Trump unprepared. People die. Trump lied. Trump lazy. Trump incompetent. Trump not engaged. Trump's lousy instincts. Dr. Fauci yesterday on CNN. If Trump had listened to our recommendations, we could have saved lives sooner. Wait, what? Coronavirus, not a major threat. It's not something the citizens should be worried about, Dr. Fauci. American people should not be worried or frightened by it. It's very, very low risk. What? Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh executing a brilliantly conceived radio broadcast today as your highly trained broadcast specialist does each and every busy broadcast day here behind the golden EIB microphone. Delight to have you with us. Telephone number 800-282-2882. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I have no quarrel with Dr. Fauci's medical credentials. Not going to even address them. I not have no, no problem with Dr. Fauci and his qualifications as a doctor, his qualifications as an infectious disease specialist at the National Institutes for Health. But there is clearly a political effort underway that has been underway since prior to the election in November 2016 to destroy President Trump. It is an effort that continued after the election, 2016, and it it had its own component during the transition. They tried to actually do things that would prevent Trump being inaugurated, would cause people to re-examine Trump's legitimacy. And then after Trump was inaugurated, the effort to get rid of him continued. And they all knew that everything they were using as evidence was bogus and never happened. They all knew. Every one of them knew. And what's happening today with the politicization of the economic shutdown relationship to coronavirus is a continuation of that. Much as many of you wish it weren't true and don't want to believe it, it is. So we have no quarrel with Dr. Fauci and his medical credentials. We have no quarrel with, with Dr. Fauci and his concern for his patients. But there are some things that he needs to explain. If the president of the United States is going to be the victim of a hit job in the New York Times on Saturday with a bogus charge that he was not prepared, when he actually was the only one who was by shutting down travel from China on January 26th, it's, it's just a public service to review some of the things that the person the media is going to as the singular authority on every aspect of this, way beyond his medical credentials. You realize Dr. Fauci is being turned to as an expert on reopening. He's being turned to as an expert on when it's coming back. He's being turned to as the expert on reopening schools. He's the uh, expert on how to operate restaurants uh, when they reopen. Dr. Fauci is being turned to as the totally accountable, and you can't question what he says, expert on all of these things that have nothing to do with his medical qualifications. This is not right. It's... Grossly unfair to President Trump. It's grossly unfair to all of us. So to review, 
Repetition is a primary ingredient to persuasion. Coronavirus is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something the citizens should be worried about. Dr. Anthony Fauci, January 21st. Five days later on a podcast with a New York grocery store magnate, John Katsimatidis. He is a grocery store guy, right, Snurdly? Katsimatidis? Yeah, I think he is. January 26th, the American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk for the United States, Dr. Fauci. Five days later, after saying coronavirus, not a major threat for the people, not something the citizens should be worried about, he said it isn't something the American people need to worry about or be frightened about. Dr. Fauci What is the date? I have to search for the date. Well, the story is March 9th, and it's Forbes. Dr. Fauci, if you are a healthy young person, there's no reason. If you want to go on a cruise ship, go on a cruise ship. Remember the uh, the Song of Princess or the the Virus Princess, whatever, docked or offshore in Japan, everybody on it had the virus? When was that? Is Dr. Fauci at a story March 9th, Forbes. If you're a healthy young person, there's no reason. You want to go on a cruise ship, go on a cruise ship. Dr. Fauci, yesterday on CNN, if Trump had listened to our recommendations, we could have saved lives. Dr. Fauci's recommendations, I'm sorry, were to ignore the coronavirus. Dr. Fauci's recommendations, January 21st and 25th, is not something the citizens should be worried about. It's not something citizens should be frightened by. Very, very low risk. Here's audio soundbite number six on our roster today. CNN State of the Union, Jake Tapper, talking to Dr. Fauci. Said the New York Times reported in their bogus hit job yesterday that you and other top Trump officials uh, wanted to recommend social and physical distancing guidelines to President Trump as far back as the third week of February. The administration didn't announce such guidelines until March 16th, almost a month later. Why? We look at it from a pure health standpoint. We make a recommendation. Often the recommendation is taken. Sometimes it's not. But it is what it is. We are where we are right now. Do you think lives could have been saved uh, if social distancing, physical distancing, stay-at-home measures had started third week of February instead of mid-March? Obviously, you could logically say that if you had a process that was ongoing and you started mitigation earlier, you could have saved lives. Obviously, no one is going to deny that. But there was a lot of pushback about shutting things down back then. Well, (laughs) there was a lot of pushback. I wonder who Dr. Fauci is referring to. It has to be Trump. So Dr. Fauci says, essentially, in that bite, if Trump had listened to our recommendations, we could have saved lives. Now, how does he get away with this? Politically, not forget the health aspect of this. Because nobody is here challenging whether he's a qualified doctor. But he gets to go on CNN and basically not even be asked about his statements in January and February that the American people have nothing to worry about, that it's not a major threat. Why does he get away? Why is he not held accountable? Well, Rush, not very many people heard Dr. Fauci say this. I don't care. We can go back and tell everybody what he said and inform them. Dr. Fauci, five days later, the American people should not be worried or frightened. It's a very, very low risk. Not something the American people need to worry about. 
So that's January 21st, January 25th, February 9th. He's saying if you want to go on a cruise ship and you're young, do it. And he goes on CNN yesterday and says, yeah, well, if we'd been listened to, if our mitigation suggestions had been listened to, then yeah, additional lives would have been saved. But we got a lot of pushback. This is, folks, this is outrageous. Here is uh, audio soundbite number seven. See if something, this is, this is again the same show, Jake Tapper, talking to Dr. Fauci. He says, do you think it'll be safe in November for voters to physically go to vote at the polls? I hope so, Jake. I can't guarantee it. If we have a good, measured way of rolling into this steps towards normality, that we hope by the time we get to November that we'll be able to do it in a way which is the standard way. However, and I don't want to be the pessimistic person, there is always a possibility as that as we get into next fall and the beginning of early winter that we could see a rebound. Right. So, uh, Dr. Fauci, I can't guarantee the November election can proceed normally. Is the National Institute for Health in charge of federal elections, is the director of the National Institute for Health in charge of any aspect of the American economy, is the National Institutes for Health responsible for determining when schools can open up? Well, maybe you might if I ask the question that way, but should they be involved? Should they be consulted? But when did the National Institute for Health become the source authority for the reopening of various segments of our country. Dr. Fauci, quote, I can't guarantee the November election can proceed normally. I didn't know that the NIH guaranteed the integrity and the even occurrence of the execution of presidential elections. I didn't know this. We have Dr. Fauci on tape saying many of these quotes I've attributed. Here's number eight. January 21st, sound by number eight. January 21st, Dr. Fauci on Newsmax, the show called Greg Kelly Reports. He said to Dr. Fauci, bottom line, we don't have to worry about this coronavirus, right? Obviously, you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. So you see, my friends, I waited for this. I I, I sucked you in. And many of you have been checking the email. You're making it up. Fauci didn't say that. That's what you do, Limboy. You make it up. I never make it up. This is Dr. Fauci in his own words. You heard it. This is not something that the citizens of the U.S. right now should be worried about. This guy is being turned to for his stamp of approval on having the November election or opening your kids' screwels. February 29th, NBC's Weekend Today Show. Co-host Peter Alexander talking to the Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Question, Dr. Fauci, Saturday morning in America. It's February 29th now. 
Dr. Fauci, Saturday morning in America, people are waking up right now with real concerns about this. They want to go to malls and movies, maybe the gym. Should we be changing our habits? And if so, how? No, right now, at this moment, there is no need to change anything that you're doing on a day-by-day basis. Right now, the risk is still low. Right, okay. Uh, So back on February 29th, February 29th, Dr. Fauci, oh, 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 no. No need to change anything you're doing on a day-to-day basis. The risk is still low. Can I have soundbite number six again? This is Dr. Fauci yesterday, CNN. Dr. Fauci, administration didn't announce guidelines, the American people, till March 16th. Why? We look at it from a pure health standpoint. We make a recommendation. Often the recommendation is taken. Sometimes it's not. But it is what it is. We are where we are right now. Do you think lives could have been saved uh, if social distancing, physical distancing, stay-at-home measures had started third week of February instead of mid-March? Obviously, you could logically say that if you had a process that was ongoing and you started mitigation earlier, you could have saved lives. Obviously, no one is going to deny that. But there was a lot of pushback about shutting things down back then. Right. Okay. That's a reference to Trump. Now, note the date here. Uh, Jake Tapper, uh, do you think lives could have been saved if these measures had started the third week of February instead of mid-March? Oh, yes, says Dr. Fauci. Well, February 29th is the fourth week of February. And Jake Tapper is asking Dr. Fauci about the third week of February. Do you think lives could have been saved if social distancing had started third week of February? Oh, yeah, no question about it. Many, many. Dr. Fauci yesterday, on February 29th, a week after the third week in February, said, no, right now at this moment, no need to change anything you're doing on a day. But why does Dr. Fauci get to change, get to redo, like the models? The models get to redo whatever they're putting out. When they're wrong. They're never wrong. We just need new data. Why does Dr. Fauci get numerous do-overs? Why is Dr. Fauci never held accountable to the things he says, and yet we get bogus hit pieces on the unpreparedness of Donald Trump, said New York Times. I'm mentioning all this. The only answer is because all of this is politicized, folks, and the target is Donald Trump, not the virus. These people are targeting Donald Trump. He is a bigger target to them than the virus. Do not doubt me. I know it's hard to believe. Fauci's not alone. Don't misunderstand. The Democrats, the media, the environmentalist committee, there's a whole cadre, the FBI, everybody involved in getting Trump on Trump-Russia collusion. Still involved in trying to get rid of Trump, period. Got to go. A little long. Back in a minute. Uh, look, we just we have another one here. February 17th, this year, USA Today, top disease official, risk of coronavirus in USA, minuscule. Skip mask and wash hands. So this is Dr. Fauci, the second week of February, third week of February, nothing to worry about. Yesterday, asked by Jake Tapper, if we'd have done things in the fourth week of February, could have been safer? Yeah, we could have been safer, but there was pushback. Obviously, Fauci wasn't, If Fauci, as recently as the third week of February, is saying nothing to worry about here, how much pushback could there have been? I mean, seriously, 
if in the third week, in the second week of February, in the, in the third and fourth weeks of January, if Dr. Fauci thinks there's nothing to worry about, then he's obviously not telling President Trump, you got to do something, dude. you got to get into gear fast. And Trump couldn't have been pushing back. In fact, at that time, Trump did institute the travel ban from China. So what pushback would there have been? Because Dr. Fauci was not advocating for strong measures because he didn't think there was anything to worry about as recently as February 29th. Look, I'm simply reviewing what Dr. Fauci has said, putting it in a timeline, measuring it against the New York Times effort to say it's Trump that's unprepared when Trump, the only guy that did anything in January, banning flights from China. And now Dr. Fauci said, well, there was an effort, you know, we wanted to shut down sooner. We want to mitigate social. We were getting pushback. How could he have been getting pushback when in, as recently as February 29th, he wasn't even advocating for any measures such as mitigation or it just, it, it, in fact, he was even saying, skip the mask and wash your hands. February 17th, Dr. Anthony Fauci. If testing shows the virus has slipped into the country in places federal officials don't know about, we got a problem. Short of that, Dr. Fauci says skip the masks unless you're contagious. Don't worry about catching anything from Chinese products. Certainly don't avoid Chinese people or restaurants. Whenever you have the threat of a transmissible infection, there are varying degrees from understandable to outlandish extrapolation of fear. Other advice from Dr. Fauci, masks. Nah, the only people who need masks are those already infected. Just wash your hands. February 17th. I must take another break. I intended to uh, get some calls going there, ladies and gentlemen, but we um, <laughs> I didn't have the chance to squeeze one, so I promise I'll make it up to you in the remaining two hours of the program today. Nobody's trying to make Dr. Fauci the fall guy for anything here. We're just beginning to wonder why Donald Trump is a bigger target of these people than the virus is. And we know the answer to the question. And I'm just trying to get you all up to speed, those of you that don't know it, that the continuation to get Trump effort is front and center over the virus for these people. Welcome back, folks. Great to have you with us. It's Rush Limbaugh. This is the EIB Network and the Limbaugh Institute for all things that matter. Happy to have you along. If you want to be on the program today, the uh, telephone number 800-282-2882, the email address lrushbo at eibnet.us. Dr. Fauci can't guarantee the physical vote in November will be safe. Dr. Fauci said in an interview Sunday he can't guarantee that the it'll be safe to physically vote at the polls in November due to coronavirus. I hope so, Jake. I really hope so, but I can't guarantee. When did we turn to the National Institutes for Health to guarantee that the election's going to be safe? Or that November will be safe. No, I'm no, I'm this is not nitpicking. It's quite the opposite of nitpicking. The United States media is turning to the director of the National Institutes for Health 
for practically every question involving reopening the United States. The economy, elections, malls, I mean, you name it. Summer camp, the director, the that. Now, some of you might think, well, Rush, he's got to be the guy because he's in charge of the health, he's in charge of the virus, he's in charge of the... No, folks, um, reopening the United States economy, I don't even think it needs a task force, but there's going to be one, so I hope, I hope really good people are on it. To me, the United States economy is something that happens naturally. The United States economy you know, is, is commerce. The United States economy is people getting up and living their lives. And people are naturally inclined to want to earn a living. One of the reasons why is it's necessary. You have to earn a living to eat. But a lot of people don't know. The federal government is paying for you to eat while not working. That cannot go on forever. But if it goes on for six months, the socialists think that they'll have enough evidence to make their case that people will vote for it in November. They don't need this to go on forever. They just need it to go on for long enough to persuade people that it works. Unlike in Venezuela and unlike in Cuba. But the U.S. economy is is not something that requires a Ph.D. to understand. If you want to get into macroeconomics and study the infinite details of data produced by the – well, that's an entirely different thing. But understanding how the economy works, it's people getting up and living. And right now, that aspect of people's lives is being denied them. They're not being allowed to live their lives in what, for many people, is the most productive aspect of their lives. And this just can't go on. The United States economy is not some mystery. It's not even a mystery to socialists who hate it. They understand perfectly how it works, and it scares the heck out of them. They hate capitalism because it works. They hate capitalism. Capitalism delivers on its promises. Socialism doesn't, never has, and can't. But it can work for long enough for a short enough period of time to convince people, hey, this is great. Maybe we can try this and they'll vote for it. And then they're really stunk or sunk once, once if that were to happen. So I appreciate that there are people with ideas on how to do it, roll it out. Certain segments go first, the healthy areas, the healthy people. Uh, if you're sick, stay at home. Continue to stay at home. We've got to get going. How do we get restaurants up and running? Do we allow restaurants to have as many tables as they used to have? Or do we have fewer tables? So everybody's separated by six feet. Require masks in there with holes in there for your mouth so you can chew and swallow. And how we do these are these are things that the experts are going to discuss. And how we handle airlines? How do we handle seating on airlines? I mean, these are questions that do. Need to be answered. But do we need airplanes flying? Yes. You don't need a PhD to understand that. Do we need restaurants open? Yeah. Do we need the malls open? Yeah. Do we need the streets open so people walk on the sidewalk? Yeah. Do you really, in Lynn, Massachusetts, they've turned sidewalks into one way. If you, if we turn this over to every Democrat governor and mayor, heaven help us. 
Meanwhile, as Dr. Fauci said, we can't guarantee physical vote in November. Last night on the Fox News channel, Steve Hilton, I, for, I forget the name of his show. It runs at 9 o'clock. And I normally, I don't watch cable news on Sunday nights. By Sunday night, I am newsed out. I have finished show prep and I'm watching escapist, mindless TV twaddle, or I am reading escapist, mindless book twaddle. Well, none of it's escape mindless twaddle, but but last night, Catherine said, "You ought to want, you ought to turn this on." There's some guys on here that actually have some good ideas about reopening, so I did. I turned it on, and uh, there Raymond Arroyo was on, and I thought, I thought I'm listening to myself in many of the things Mr. Arroyo said, and the founder of JetBlue was on, and this guy was fabulous. This guy has some wonderfully great ideas. And they talked about, I'm sorry to do this to you, there's another idea that Dr. Fauci has had, which, which, ladies and gentlemen, again, I want to stress not challenging the medical qualifications or the achievements or the accomplishments or the reputation of Dr. Fauci. Far be it from, yeah, the next revolution's the name of it. Far, far be it from me. I, that's not it. But now Dr. Fauci is out there recommending all kinds of things. One of the things that Dr. Fauci recommended that he says are being discussed are immunity cards. Can you say George Orwell, folks? Do you know what an immunity card is? It is federal permission to leave your home. It is federal permission to leave your home and go to work and interact with others. Who are immune. You may not remember this, but back during the apartheid days of South Africa, they had pass laws. You had you remember yeah, you had to have permission from the government to pass here, go there, and it was racist and it was bigoted. The primary problem with immunity cards is everybody's going to want one. If immunity cards are what turns you loose, if immunity cards, instead of the Constitution, is what becomes the source of your freedom, oh my, phrased that way, this is doubly scary. If immunity cards, well, they've been saying that for a while. The news media have been saying for a while that if you get the disease to recover, you could get it again. Some people are contracting. Oh, those stories are all over the place. That it's on the bottom of your shoes. The coronavirus is everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We are powerless against it. We can't reopen until there's a vaccine. Hey, You know how few vaccines for viruses we actually have? That can't be the measure. But back to these immunity cards. If immunity cards replace the Constitution as our source of freedom, everybody's going to want one. You know what you're going to have to do to get one? You're going to have to get infected. You're going to have to get infected. You have to run the risk of getting infected. And then you're going to have to run the risk of surviving, which apparently is not that great a risk. And then after you have your presence immunity, then you can get your immunity card. But 
aside from the dangers of people trying to get infected, the very idea that we're going to have in the United States of America checkpoints where you have to produce your papers? We've all seen, well, most of us have seen these World War II movies where anywhere in the Soviet Eastern German bloc, you get to some checkpoint somewhere in Germany or Eastern Europe. Papers, please, your papers. And people get nervous around for their papers. They don't have their papers. It's the last you've ever seen of them. Do we really want that in the United States of America? Papers, please, at checkpoints throughout American cities? Dr. Fauci said this is entirely possible. He unloaded a lot of things on CNN yesterday. Asked whether he could imagine a time when people would carry such forms of identification. He said, well, it's one of those things that we talk about when we want to make sure that we know who the vulnerable people are and not. (laughs) Immunity cards are not to tell you who's vulnerable. No, in a way they could be. But immunity cards... And if you can get it a second time, if they say this is true, in other words, if you really don't build up immunity, Dr. Fauci said this is something being uh, discussed. I think it might actually have some merit under certain circumstances. So, again, Dr. Fauci turned to as the world's foremost authority on the politics of this. Immunity certificates, by the way, have been implemented by researchers in Germany. Stands to reason they have experience with papers, please, in Germany. Immunity certificates being implemented by researchers in the UK and in Italy. In parts of China, citizens are required to display colored codes on their smartphones indicating their contagion risk. Apple and Google are working on contacting using Bluetooth as a means of tracing, contact tracing, tracing your steps to find out if you have interacted with infected people. This is all under the guise of protection. Protecting everybody. The uh, controversial surveillance measured, uh, measure in China, the colored codes on smartphones, was tried or is being tried in Wuhan, which is the source city for this. See, so... Dr. Fauci, as Steve Hilton pointed out last night, Dr. Fauci is being asked a bunch of political policy questions, and he runs the National Institute of Health. Now, do not misunderstand. I don't think it would be unreasonable for medical people to be consulted by the policy people. But the medical people are not the final arbiters. Not to mention we didn't elect Dr. Fauci. So uh, this, 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 it's a bad idea, these, these immunity certificates, antibody passes. That's another, you go, antibody. Yo, I have the antibodies. Here are my papers. Here's my, it's a bad idea. We don't want to go down that 
road. And surveillance, surveillance is is going to tick up. It's going to be a part of reopening. It's going to be it's going to be a part. It already is, but it's just going to increase uh, with the uh, belief that the American people are going to be all in on it. The American people are going to want to know who the lepers are. They're going to want to know who the infected are and who this is. The government is counting on surveillance policy being supported. And who could blame the government? Because they've portrayed the virus as something that's a killer for which there is no cure or treatment. They never talk about the recovery rates. Why are you staring at me with the wide... You cannot believe these people are... What people were serious? You know, Fauci... Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. The people floating the idea of immunity certificates are dead serious about it. They're dead serious. Look, you know better than most. You're just not thinking of it because you're looking at this primarily as a health issue, as you should. you got to understand, to, to, to the very people that you have known your whole life are the political opposition, the Democrats. and They're not looking at this as a health issue. This is a political opportunity like they haven't had in who knows how long to implement so much of their agenda, the Green New Deal, get people stay at home, stop pollution, show that shutting down capitalism saves the planet. They're doing it. They think they're doing it right now. Shutting down capitalism is saving the planet. They got their charts and graphs. Here it is. Hold it up. They got their charts and graphs here showing less pollution in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut by people not going to work. They're already on the march here. Green New Deal works. People not working can save the planet. We can keep them fed. Massive government spending, i.e. social. We can keep them fed. We can keep it home. We can save the planet. We can bring down the price of oil. We get rid of oil because we don't need it. People aren't driving anymore. We can get rid of fossil fuels. They're salivating over this virus is a godsend to some people. You know that as well as I do. You just haven't gotten to that point, Mr. Snurdly, because to you, it's a health issue. And you're looking at it as a health issue to overcome and to conquer so that we can resume normalcy. you got to understand, there are countless millions of Americans who don't want to return to that normalcy. And this is a golden opportunity for them to succeed at that. i got to take a break. i got to see if Apple has released a new beta today. And I'm going to tell you, my wild guess is they haven't. So I'm going to have to overcome being depressed for a short period of time during this commercial break. You sit tight. We'll be back here. And we'll get to the phones as soon as we get back here. So I promise that. Don't go away. And look at this, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Top coronavirus forecaster, which means he has never been right. This is Chris Murray of the uh, state of Washington model. University of Washington, I-H-M-E. The guy has never been right. You understand this? Not a single modeler has been right. They're trying very hard. They're doing their best. They haven't been right. And the top coronavirus forecaster, meaning the chosen model of the media, is warning of a rebound if the country reopens May 1st. So the the guy running the model doesn't want to reopen. Oh, no, we can't reopen. Why, there might be a rebound. The guy who hasn't been right yet. 
on his projection of the number of deaths. What amazing times. Here is Marcus in Las Vegas. Hey, Marcus, I'm really glad you waited. How you doing, sir? Well, Rush, pole position. Thanks so much, sir. Appreciate it. My wife and our daughters and I pray for you twice daily by name. Just uh, hang in there, my friend. So um, I work for the Metropolitan Police Department, and my wife works for a major strip uh, casino. And uh, the month of March... Hey, can I ask you a quick... Hey, Marcus, Marcus, don't worry about your time. If we go through the break, I'll hold you over. Are the casinos open? No, not even remotely closed. Nothing is. It's uh, it's completely... uh, Okay, so your wife is furloughed? So, yes, she got let go uh, probably about a month ago. I'm sorry. Holding super strong. And then when shut its doors, then within two days, Vegas had completely shut down. Right. Uh, the idiot uh, governor here shut everything down. And from that point forward, literally tens of thousands of people got laid off immediately with uh, with no way, no well, idea. Now, a lot of people here are laughing at me, Marcus, over my question at the casinos. But the reason I ask it is because the casinos are the last place you can actually be in America. You can smoke, you can drink, you do a number of things out there. And so I thought maybe some of them uh, stayed open with, um, you know, got to stay far away from the Anyway, I knew that was the case, but. Sure. Absolutely. Well, everybody was holding strong until wind shut its doors. Then MGM shut their doors down shortly thereafter. And um, it was, you know, just this whole major concern as, as far as that goes. So. Um, working for the police department, um, I wound up. Uh, this, it's like March is absolutely massive. People don't realize that's when most casinos make their money for the year. Now you had the NFL draft. You know, Home Depot comes in with tens of thousands of their employees in March alone. The entire month of March was completely sold out. All the properties were sold out. Right, and you got the uh, NFL draft that was scheduled in April. Absolutely, at the Bellagio. Exactly. You've got that. You've got the Cirque shows were filled. The hotels were filled. The restaurants were filled. And then within one executive order, it's done. I mean, not an order, but with one thing, it's it's done. It's out. I mean, the entire city shut itself down, and the budget for the city is absolutely gone now as well. And now, hang, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold your thought, hold your thought right there, because I got to take the break. We're going to hold you over through the break, just be a couple of minutes, and we'll be right back and resume your comment on the budgeting, which is what he called about. So hang on. Hi, welcome back, Rush Limbaugh. Making more sense than anything anybody else out there happens to be saying. Documented to be almost always right, 99.8% of the time. Back to Marcus in uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, 150 law enforcement officers have been let go out in Vegas, right? You're one of them. Yes. And the whole community has lost billions. That You, you were going to be talking about this. Something about the budget as it relates to all this. Right. They let us know that the, the the budget's been decimated because nothing's open. The only thing that's open are basically Walmarts and Targets and those sort of things. Everything has been has been completely shut down. Um, and so we were let go saying that they're, they're not sure when they're going to be able to bring us back because they're thinking it could be years before, uh, you know, the, the, the strips, the strip opens up again. It provides close to 70 percent of revenue for the entire state. You better uh, hope that Dr. Fauci is a gambler. Oh, Rush, it's it's so frustrating. I mean, it's like, my like, why would you bring, you know, even if you open the economy tomorrow, you know, nobody's going to travel to Las Vegas. You've got tens of thousands of people that work in these casinos. Well, you know, hey, hey, Marcus, that's something that concerns me. Uh, they have succeeded, I say they, the media, this whole story, they've succeeded in scaring people pretty well. And I wonder how many people, even if they got, even if we got a blanket, Wide open tomorrow order. I wonder how many people would actually brave it. 
I, I think exactly. there's a sufficient that we know that there was all kinds of fear of conservative shadows on college campuses. I mean, there are literally students call themselves snowflakes that are that are afraid of an opposing point of view. And now they've been revved up here into whatever fear they have over the virus. It's going to be a major, major stumbling block, I think, whenever there is a reopen. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. And you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But sure. this is what scares me. What are you living on? You've been furloughed. You've been laid off. Your wife, too. Luckily, we are big uh, fans of the Rush Limbaugh show, so we listen. We you know, take our money, we save it wisely, we invest, we do, we basically have a, a six-month savings plan set up for ourselves and things like that. So we, we're fiscally conservative and, and we, we try to live in our means and invest and those sort of things. So, you know, we both are, are out of, of a job now and, wow. and it's, it's, it's very scary. And, and like, who's, you know, who's going to come back? That's the problem. Even if the property's open tomorrow, like nobody's flying. So why would you bring, you know, thousands of housekeepers back when there's no room for them to turn. Or well, start. not only that, what are people going to gamble with? Oh, exactly. Money-wise. All these, there are tens of thousands of people here without, without, without anything to do and no, no end in sight and wondering when are we going to get back to work. It's, it's absolutely insane. This, I mean, I think personally it almost kind of seems like a dry run to see how far the government can uh, you know, push before the American public starts pushing back. You really think that? You know, deep down inside, it's 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 scary. I mean, it's you never know. I mean, it's like I I, I agree that the right person in the office is to bring this country out of this, but it's you know when you look at the numbers, Rush, the numbers don't add up as far as like where you know the amount of people that die of a normal flu every year and those sort of things. I mean, it's it's terrifying how one thing can make us give up our rights so quickly. Things that you know, like you've said, three years of of gains gone in, in a matter of a couple of two, three weeks. And we willingly did it to ourselves because of the, because of the fear of this virus. And it's a scary thing. We did do this to ourselves. We, 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 it, it took all kinds of things to, uh, to build this economy in the past three years. And it took a month to destroy it all. We did it. We did it to ourselves. You know, you mentioned the the flu number. Marcus, thank you very, very much for the call. He mentioned the flu numbers. And I'm I want to go back. We mentioned these flu numbers some time ago. Uh, I also have a new column here today by William J. Bennett, the former uh, drug czar uh, in the Reagan administration. And oh, wait. He was education secretary for Reagan, drug czar in, uh, it might have been Reagan too, maybe Bush. But regardless, he and Seth Liebson had a piece last week in which they pointed out that 98% of the people who get coronavirus recover from it, which seems to be an important number. 98% recover. Now, that does not mean that there is a 2% fatality rate. The fatality rate for this virus may be much lower than anybody thinks. We can't get an active number on it because we don't know how many people are infected. There are people who have this virus who are asymptomatic. For those of you in Rio Linda, it means they're not sneezing or sniffling or sore throat. They're showing no symptoms at all, but but they're contagious. 
And we don't know why they're not showing symptoms. We don't know if they will at some point or won't, if they've already built up some immunity. Oh, and there is a gigantic see I told you so story today that the virus may have been in California months before anybody knew it. Just as uh, as I and Victor Davis Hanson have been positing in the past couple of weeks. Well, Bennett is out with a new piece today. And he's focusing on flu numbers. And here's, here's the opening paragraph. Given the most recent mortality rates and modeling, it's going to turn out that the coronavirus will end up looking a lot like common flu in America. Maybe less. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation in Washington, this is Chris Murray and the model that has yet to be right, is now projecting 61,545 deaths from COVID-19 with a low-range estimate of 26,000. Remember, last week was not the apocalyptic week that everybody told us it was going to be, which allows them to say, see how well we're doing. The flu season of 2017 and 2018 killed 61,099 Americans. For this, we have scared the hell out of the American people. We have shut down the economy. We have ended 17 million jobs. We've taken trillions of dollars out of the economy. We've closed churches and synagogues. We've massively disrupted life as we know it. Some of our major public officials tell us still there will be no returning to a status quo ante. We'll have to get used to a new normal. The current virus may look like the flu or less. America will look and be worse. A panic and hysteria that did not and will not come true radically degraded this country. That's a powerful statement. This is it's a powerful opinion right here. A panic. This is William Bennett, Seth Liebson. A panic and hysteria that did not and will not come true radically degraded this country. So what are the major lessons learned here? How do we go from an ethos of let's roll 19 years ago when we were hit by a major attack, 9-11, to let's roll up in a ball today? So you have a low-range estimate. In the IHME model out of University of Washington, 26,000, the high range now 61,000, which is the number of flu deaths in uh, 2017-2018. Now, there's a difference in this and the flu we'll get to in a minute. But I want to go back to 2009-2010. Swine flu. These numbers are astounding. And for those of you, 2009, 2010 is, uh, is, is 10 or 11 years ago. I just want to check your memory here. In the United States, 2000, 2000, uh, 2009, 2010 flu season, 60 million people were infected with the swine flu. 300,000 were hospitalized. Do you remember any of this? And do you remember any stories about the massive stress and pressure placed on the American hospital system? Do you remember hospitals being built in Central Park or at the Javits Center? Do you remember the 
Navy hospital ships being employed to deal with the massive number of hospitalizations. Now, the figure I have here is 18,000 dead. I think it's—I think that's wrong. I think the figure was much higher. I think I've got a typo here. That's, I, I originally got the, this number, and I copied it, and I put it in a, in a clipboard app where I save everything that I copy. And I'm, I'm not sure that 18,000 deaths figure is low, is correct. I think it's low. But we'll go with it because the other figures are still 60 million people infected. 60 million infected. We're nowhere near any of that. And 300,000 hospitalized. We didn't suspend or stop one thing. And in fact, in 2009 and 2010, Obama was praised for having the great competence and leadership skills and temperament to guide the nation through the swine flu pandemic. It was also used to push and promote Obamacare. This is why we need to reform our health care system. Look at this dire disease that's soaking our nation. But we didn't stop anything. We didn't put anybody out of work. We didn't shut down a damn thing. Now, why? Well, when it comes to the flu, people think there's a vaccine. And there isn't. A vaccine means you could go out and get the vaccine and you would never get the flu. That does not exist. We have flu shots. The CDC website may call them vaccines, but they're not. You get a flu shot. We, we know the various mutations of the flu. That's why we knew it's a swine flu. So we can prepare a mutation shot for it that lessens your chance of getting it, but it does not prevent anybody from getting it. But because we have these flu shots... People think there is a way to deal with it. There's something you can do to protect yourself. So people have accepted, uh, just as 50,000 people a year die in auto accidents, we've accepted that between 30,000 and 60,000 are going to die every year with a flu. We've just accepted it. We've accepted that a certain number of people are going to commit suicide every year. We have accepted that a certain number of people are going to die from cancer. Pick it We've accepted it all. We don't shut down the country for any cause of death until this. And it's killing far fewer. It's infecting far fewer. And people are recovering from it. It's not a death sentence. You have a greater chance of being harmed by it if you fit certain demographic criteria. If you're, if you're, it looks like obesity is the number one thing. The New York people saying obesity is the number one thing their patients have in common. And then is uh, diabetes. And obesity and diabetes type 2 go together. And young people are getting it too, but not in the numbers that uh, elderly pre-existing condition people are. But with coronavirus, there's not a damn thing you can do. Uh, the American people can't go get a shot. They can't get a vaccine. They can't get what they think is a vaccine. They are helpless. That's why the flu is not even in the same category. The coronavirus, people have been properly scared, adequately frightened, 
along with there and the, and along with that is the phenomenon that we have hydroxychloroquine that is working f- practically every time it's tried. There's some episodes where it doesn't. And even that is being shot down. That's being, people are being disabused of the notion that there is a medicine that works against it. And there is. So it's understandable that people would support a shutdown with something for which they can't take a shot, they can't get a vaccine, and for which there's no medicine. It's all come together in an advantageous way for those who have a political wish list attached to the arrival of coronavirus. We're back with the phones when we get back after this. Wednesday, April 15th is tax day, and it is an active tax day for some people this year. The IRS has exempted some people, but not everybody. And for a lot of people, April 15th moves in like a dark cloud. If you file quarterly estimates... Rather than have your taxes withheld, you better look. You better find out if you owe something on April 15th. You probably already know. But it's another deadline, and if you miss it, another penalty. Now, if you owe the IRS, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but there are some experts who can help you, people who have wisdom when it comes to working with the IRS. Optima Tax Relief are the experts that we like. They're open. They're working right now. They're helping people via phone and online. Uh, Optima Tax Relief, there's a whole bunch of these people out there to do this. But Optima is America's most trusted tax resolution firm. They have, they've resolved a billion, over a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients, and they can probably help you. In times like these, wisdom and experience in dealing with the IRS can help. Everybody's on edge. And everybody wants their money. The government wants their money. Your landlord wants his money. Everybody wants their money. And the IRS, they don't have to defer. You need somebody that knows how to deal with them. And there's a lot that feels so much out of control right now. So much uncertainty. It's unsettling. And if you throw a tax problem on top of all of that, well, it could, it, it could be something you'd rather not have, and you can have this dealt with by Optima. They will stand between you and the IRS. They know how to talk to them. They will fight to get you the best deal possible. They'll make sure the IRS is fair with you, will not take advantage of you. Take the first steps toward putting your tax problems, if you have any, to rest, because in times like these, wisdom and experience can help. With so much out of control, with so much uncertainty, turn to people who deal in certainty and maintain control in relationships to the IRS. Focus on what you can control. And with Optima Tax Relief, you can control better than yourself can do it. You can do it yourself, the IRS. Optima is available free consultation at 800-973-7700. That's 800-973-7700. Free consultation, Optima Tax Relief. 
Okay, now I promise we're going to focus on you in the upcoming hour, the finally swan song finale hour of the EIB Network's excursion into broadcast excellence today. We'll focus on phone calls because so far it has been a brilliantly conceived and flawlessly executed excursion uh, into broadcast excellence. And I'm 90% of what I intended to get done, I got done. So I can, uh, I can, I can tune to you when we get back, and I'll do that. Sit tight. America's real anchorman, America's truth detector, meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day, right here on the one and only Excellence in Broadcasting Network, hosted by me, Rush Limbaugh, your guiding light. Telephone number, if you want to be on the program, is 800-282-2882. And the email address, lrushball at eibnet.us. I just got the following statement from Hogan Gidley in the White House Communications Office. Hogan is a... Uh, I love... Hogan Gidley is a great guy. When, on, the, on the night of the State of the Union, when we uh, went to the White House first... Uh, before heading over to the Capitol for the State of the Union, it was Hogan who met us and escorted us into the uh, into the library, and then we went photo shot to photo shoot with Miss uh, Mrs. Trump, and then up to the residence before we went over. And Hogan is actually he's on Fox now and then, and he's a great defender of the administration, as his job is. But he's uh, he's smart. Anyway, just got the following statement from him: President Trump is not firing Dr. Fauci. The media is all over this today because Trump retweeted something that had a fired Dr. Fauci hashtag in it. Kind of like Save Our Girls. There was a, there was a, what do you mean you don't believe this? What do you mean you don't, you, 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 you well, here's the statement from Hogan Gitlin. The president's tweet clearly exposed media attempts to maliciously push a falsehood, a falsehood, about his China decision in an attempt to rewrite history. It was Democrats in the media who ignored coronavirus, choosing to focus on impeachment instead. And when they finally did comment on the virus, it was to attack President Trump for taking the bold action to save American lives, cutting off travel from China and from Europe. Dr. Fauci has been and remains a trusted advisor to the president. He's not being fired. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me. Trump did retweet something that had a fire Dr. Fauci hashtag in it. And uh, <laughs> Snurdly says that we were all hopeful. Don't say that. And, uh, and you know, a lot of people are saying, why did the president do this? Why did the president, he just tweets these things. Why did the president... After after four years, is it still not clear why the president does things? Is it still not clear why the president uses Twitter? Is, are people still confused that it's the president's only way at his disposal? Other than briefings and rallies to respond to what he thinks are lies and, uh, and fake news. I, I, I want to go back to this story from the Washington Examiner because I have a companion story that goes with it. I mean, the two people that did these stories didn't realize they were companion stories. Uh, but 
And wouldn't you know it, I didn't print the second page, so I can't tell you who. Here. Uh, April 3rd. This is April 3rd. Let me find something real quick here, folks. My computer will enable this. I just have to go back to last night. I got to find out. If I'm going to use this, I got to tell you who the hell wrote it. Uh, let me see where I am here. Oh, okay. Getting close. Getting close. Here we go. Here we go. All right. It's PJ Media Sarah Hoyt. All right. So here's, here's the first piece. The model... Top coronavirus forecaster warns of rebound if country reopens May 1st. This is the guy who has never been right. None of them have. I'm not, but this guy's model is used more than anybody else's. This is Chris Murray, University of Washington Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. His model has never been right. His range of death now at the top is 61,000, at the low end, 26,000. And I don't care what anybody says, every one of these models has factored in social distancing from the beginning. They didn't add it later. They added it after the first projection of 2.2 million. Then they added social distancing. They're trying to get away with saying that they've been wrong because they they weren't factoring social distancing. They were. They have been from the the get-go. That matters. They have been wrong even with that modifier. So, it, and, and by the way, it may sound mean to you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you these people haven't been right. They haven't been right about anything yet. Like the climate change models have not been right about anything yet. Top coronavirus forecaster who has yet to be right is warning of a rebound if the country reopens May 1st. The model overseen by Chris Murray was used by the White House to predict at the end of March between 100,000 and 240,000 deaths in the U.S. from the virus with mitigation. And then they revised it. And they used 100,000, 240,000 to tell us last week was going to be the apocalypse or the peak. And it wasn't that bad. They They haven't been close to being right. Yet. And yet, they all still have credibility. It's a modern tech marvel. They still have credibility and they have yet to be right. You know what I want? And I I once, a while ago, suggested bring these modelers to the briefing and let us see the data that they're using. Let us see what they're inputting. Let us see the charts. Let us see how they're arriving at these numbers. We're smart enough to follow along. I'd like to know the assumptions that are being used to create the models. I don't care about their opinions on policy. I don't care whether Chris Murray thinks that we can't reopen on May 1st because there might be a rebound. His models haven't been right, so how does he know this? I, Again, folks, I'm not trying to sound mean and disrespectful to these people. Everybody's trying their best here. But trying your best, like Churchill said, doesn't matter. You have to do what's necessary. And we are relying on people who haven't been right, and now we're turning to them for policy questions after they haven't been right in their area of expertise. I don't really care about Mr. Murray's opinion on matters of policy, whether we reopen or not because of a rebound. Their job is to make accurate 
projections, predictions, and when they don't pan out, they should tell us where the errors were or are, and that should be the end of it. Now, here's the companion story, and again, it comes from Sarah Hoyt. It's really a great point, too. It comes from Sarah Hoyt at uh, PJ Media, and the title of her piece is Modeling COVID-19 and the Lies of Multiculturalism. Her point is that these models are treating every human being as identical. Every human being is the same. We're not factoring culture into these models. The models are not factoring culture because they can't. The models have to assume that everybody is going to behave identically. That's a scary thought because that is a model for socialism and communism governments, that with the use of force, they can require everybody to behave identically. And if you don't, then you go to re-education camp or something worse. And that is not a scare tactic, and that is not an exaggeration. Remember the Chinese Olympics from some years ago, Mr. Snurdly? Remember the opening ceremony and everybody was marveling at the beauty and the synchronization and how marvelously it all came off. And I told everybody it scared me because not one of those people looked any different than anybody else. Every Chinese person in that opening ceremony dressed identically, made up identically, hair was identical. It was scary. We were looking at mass sameness. And that's how the synchronization was achieved. Of course, massive practicing and massive penalties if people screwed up during practice. So let me give you a couple of pull quotes. The Imperial College of London model that terrified our largely scientifically illiterate politicos and therefore killed the world economy, like every other model that tries to model human behavior, assumed a spherical cow of uniform density in a frictionless vacuum. Meaning nobody would push back, nobody would object, everybody would follow instruct, everybody would do exactly the same. And that never happens. We are not the same. We are not equal. We never will be equal. There is no sameness. There is only forced sameness, which is very punitive. The Imperial College of London model, yet to be right, terrified our largely scientifically illiterate politicians. Meaning, here came the predictions, 2.2 million, then 240,000. They got scared to death and implemented immediate policy. Immediate, without even questioning it. They killed the economy. It took three weeks. It's, it's so scary. It took three weeks to destroy Three years of a roaring economy. Does that not scare the heck out of you? Three weeks of a stand-down order. Unfortunately, we have willfully, another pull quote from Sarah Hoyt's piece, unfortunately, we have willfully and on purpose 
over the course of the last 50 years, blinded ourselves to one of the most important factors when modeling disease in human populations, and that is culture. We've taught our kids in school that culture is food and clothing, like Nikes. You're culturally hip if you have the right shoes. Culturally hip if you eat the right stuff. Culturally hip if you go to the right places. Sometimes language can be cultural, but not always. But that culture is inherently the same underneath those trappings. That's what's assumed by those models, and it's enough of a lie to be a damned lie. Now, this is a tough case to make. I, I, and Sarah Hoyt does a great job in this piece, a very long piece. We will link to it at RushLimbaugh.com. It was published yesterday. But I want, I want to try here because what her, her, her point is that we get these models projecting how many people are going to get sick, how many people are going to die, assuming everybody's identical, assuming everybody's the same. You've got to behave the same. However, culture is the most important or should be the most important in modeling the spread of any disease in a human population. Next, and almost equal to culture, should be the physical home of that culture. Like, where do people live? How dense is the population there? How much air do they share? The models for how bad COVID-19 would be and the measures for mitigating its spread, without exception, Ignore these factors. We assume everybody must live in New York. Everybody must live in dense population. Everybody must. In other words, there's no state of Washington model for Texas. Well, there, there, there might be, but it, it, it doesn't get used and it's overshadowed and overused by the nationwide model. Now, she makes it clear. I don't think she writes that COVID-19 is a hoax. I do think it has got really bad in clusters. I also think if you go and look at the clusters, you'll find that there are reasons why it got exceptionally bad there, but not anywhere else. Like, why is it not bad in West Virginia? Why is it not nearly as bad in California as it is in New York? Why is it not nearly as bad originally in the state of Washington as it is elsewhere? Why are there places where it isn't really bad at all? Is that of no interest to anybody? Or, or do we sweep that under the rug in order to protect the integrity of the models? And that's exactly what we're doing. We're sweeping the good areas under the rug and not even looking at them with curiosity. It's akin to the Democrats not even caring to understand who Trump voters are. Not even trying to understand why they like Trump. They're just going to try to impugn and laugh at him and make fun of him no matter what. Why isn't there a serious study and interest in why parts of this country are unaffected, relatively unaffected, compared to the areas where there are massive numbers of cases? If you go and look at the clusters, you will find that there are reasons why it got exceptionally bad in those clusters, but not anywhere else. And it was never going to get as bad anywhere else. Never. It wasn't going to get as bad in in West Virginia as it's in New York. It's never going to happen. Why? The measures should have been taken specifically in those places without the ruinous cost of crashing the economy. In other words... 
because we're treating everybody the same and everything the same. We're treating the economy as a one-size-fits-all. We're shutting everything down, even in places where it was not necessary. For instance, another pull quote from Sarah Hoyt in this piece. My friend in Albany, Georgia, tells me he assumes part of the reason it got so bad in his neighborhood, which is the worst per capita in the U.S., Albany, Georgia, is that we are the touchiest and most social people I know. A lot of touching, a lot of hugging in Albany, Georgia. And I guess this is the reason it got so bad in Italy, too, but not nearly as bad in Germany, where, frankly, people aren't as touchy and feely as huggy. Did you know that? I didn't know that about German. I didn't know that. I know in Italy they can't keep their hands off each other. That's why George Clooney is in place there. I didn't know that about Albany, Georgia, which is her point. The other thing is, I remember, this is her writing, Sarah Hoyt. The other thing is, I remember, lost in a flurry of early news. Spain's first response to this was the nationalizing of its healthcare system, which means that before this emergency, Spain had parallel public and private health systems. At the onset of the epidemic, the private healthcare system was folded into the public healthcare system. Not only would this have caused the usual difficulty of socialized medicine, but it would also undoubtedly have caused confusion, disorganization, and general mess as many different hierarchies were folded into an overarching one. We'll link to it at RushLimbaugh.com. Segment has come to an end, but it's a, it's, a, it's a really great point about how the models, not only are they wrong and haven't been right, they're not even set up to quantify one of the big, important facts, aspects of American life, and that's differing cultural behaviors. Right on. Back to the phones we go. Joanna, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm glad you waited. You're up next. It's great to have you here. Hi. Yes. Hi, Rush. Uh, thank you for taking my call, and uh, thank you very much for still being on the air. I, I know this can't be easy for you, but we're, we definitely need you right now, and because you're the one of the few people that have the courage to speak honestly about what's going on here. Thank you very much. I I sincerely appreciate that. No problem. Well, uh, the, the reason for my call is uh, to give what I feel is a little talked about issue from the medical field to give a little perspective on that. So uh, I'm a physician assistant and I was recently laid off. I was an independent contractor and I was working in a kidney transplant department and uh, my contract was terminated due to COVID-19. And uh, the reason was that uh, they're not doing as many, nearly as many kidney transplants as they used to be. And uh, for for that reason, you know, they're laying off a lot of contract employees as well as permanent employees. Well, it's not just that. It's they're not doing a bunch of surgeries. They're not doing uh, they've they've shut a lot of that. And and, and that was because of the anticipation of so many COVID-19 patients. Yes. And so if we are to believe the media, we would be under the distinct impression that hospitals are being overrun by COVID patients and that it's all hands on deck. But the truth is that the census at most hospitals is far lower than it has been in recent memory because hospitals aren't doing any of these elective procedures and they're canceling routine appointments. And uh, as a result, they're their revenue is way down. I have heard this. I've heard this from people all over the country that that hospitals are. Uh, suffering a loss of income because of uh, 
a loss of elective surgeries and uh, other other hospitalizations. Believe it or not, Joanna, and I'm sure you will, some are, are, are saying this is great news. This is illustrating that there's a lot of people seeking medical attention that don't need it in the first place and so forth. So that's not the answer to this, by the way. Grab audio sound by number 12. This is President Trump Saturday night. He was on uh, Justice with Judge Janine. And she said to President Trump, what is it that you look for when you dig deep to come up with a decision about reopening the country? It's going to be the toughest decision that I've ever made, hopefully that I ever will have to make. But it's certainly the toughest decision that I've ever made. And I hope that I'm going to make the right decision. I'll be basing it on a lot of a lot of very smart people, a lot of professionals, doctors and business leaders. There are a lot of things that go into a decision like that. And it's going to be based on a lot of facts and a lot of instinct also. Whether we like it or not, there is a certain instinct to it. But we have to get our country back. People want to get back. They want to get back to work. We have to bring our country back. And so I'll be making a decision reasonably soon. He's announced the members of the Reopen the Country Task Force. His daughter Ivanka is on it. Mnuchin is on it. Jared Kushner's on it. And then I saw, that's all I saw because the picture went away. Um, now, there's an interesting thing that's developed. The governors are out there saying, hey, this is our decision when to reopen. And Trump's out there saying, the hell it is. It's mine. Trump tweeted this last night. Governors, get your state's testing programs and apparatus perfected. Be ready. Big things are happening. No excuses. Federal government's there to help. We're testing more than any country in the world. Also, gear up with face masks. And then the tweet. For the first time in history, there's a fully signed presidential disaster declaration for all 50 states. Then, this morning at 1053... For the purposes of creating conflict and confusion, some in the fake news media are saying that it is the governor's decision to open up the states, not that of the president of the United States and the federal government. Let it be fully understood that this is incorrect. Reopening the United States economy is the decision of the president and for many good reasons. So, he's telling these governors, folks, if we leave it, some of these Democrat governors are just creating horror shows. The power is going to their heads. One-way sidewalks in Lynn, Massachusetts. One-way... Somebody... Rush, look at this! Look at this! They've established a curfew! In places, places in Massachusetts, That's, we've had a curfew. We've been living under a curfew in Palm Beach for I don't know how long, 6 p.m. to, to, to uh, 9, 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. Of course, it doesn't affect me. I mastered uh, social distancing, and I, master, I, I got a Ph.D. in staying home years ago. But to a lot of people, you know, curfew bugs them, bugs the hell out of them. I mean, it does me too, and even though you know, I, I, it's completely unnecessary. But this is the president's making it very clear that you, the governors, are not the ones that are going to decide 
on reopening. Now, this latest this latest model from Chris Murray, top coronavirus forecaster who is yet to be right, warns of rebound if country reopens May 1st. They're trying to use this to tell Trump to scuttle any plans or reopening on May 1st. Don't do it, Mr. President. Don't do it. Don't even think about it. Do you realize, you know what the basis for this is? No vaccine. You realize there are people, if they could get away with it, would close this country down for 18 months. They are Democrats. They are people in the media. They are people who want to inflict a death blow on capitalism. And I'm telling you, if they could do it, they would. And they're trying. And this, this latest projection, this latest memo from this guy, they're using this to try to convince Trump not to reopen the economy because there's going to be a rebound of the disease. Okay, Robert Lighthizer, Wilbur Ross, Larry Kudlow, and Mark Meadows are the people on the Reopen America task force, along with Ivanka, Jared Kushner, Mnuchin. Wilbur Ross. Lighthizer is great. He's the trade representative. He's been doing the negotiations with the check Lighthizer is great. Uh, it's great to have him on this task force. He gets it. Anyway, Trump's tweet, with that being said, the administration and I are working closely with the governors, and this will continue. A decision by me, in conjunction with the governors, and input from others, will be made shortly. Here's, uh, here's Calvin in Northport, Michigan. Glad you called, Calvin. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Oh, my goodness. What an honor, sir. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Mega prayers, mega dittos. Um, thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, so, and, you know, I'm 33 years old. I'm, uh, I build houses for a living. I'm willing to work, and uh, I've been deemed non-essential. Um, weekend, Governor Whitmer um, issued... Uh, no Wait a second! You have been deemed non-essential in the con- in the construction in Michigan. Oh, Michigan, because the governor's out of control there. Right. So our governor's out of control. So um, we were told that we were allowed to fish and all this stuff. Um, if I can't work and I can't, we're not allowed to be on a, bo- a motorized boat right now. We can go out in a canoe. We can go sailboating. But we are not allowed to be in a motorized vessel. Wait a minute. To- wait, 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 wait. You can't be in a motorized boat, but you can go sailing? Yeah, I don't understand the uh, the reasoning behind it either. But um, I just want to say. Well, now, what could um, that possibly be? What That, that, that has to be. <laughs> that has to be. Fossil fuels, climate change. This is what I mean about these people doubling down and incorporating their political agenda into this. Right. Well, I would like to say a big thank you to our state or uh, state senator, in the 35th district, uh, Kurt Vanderwall. He's been uh, communicating with me, and he's actually doing a lot pushing back. So, do appreciate that. Well, I'm glad you called, Calvin. I uh, I appreciate it. Uh, where I tell you where we are, construction is considered essential. They're doing road repairs, taking advantage of the fact that there are very few vehicles out there. And, of course, uh, the under-construction homes of millionaires and billionaires is proceeding. I mean, they're bringing in a giant palm trees to plant in the yard. They're bringing in gigantic, you know, the, 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 the 
like cranes and stuff on the on flatbed trucks and shutting down traffic to get them to the construction. You're looking at me like this is not happening where you live. Yeah, I was going to say construction projects are happening uh, all over the place uh, here, but it still is a ghost town. You go out there, drive in. What what is going to the store? What what is going to the store? What what does that mean? Oh, go to the supermarket. Oh 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 oh! I get what you mean. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, folks. N- no, but you know I would like to, because they just instituted Apple Pay, which means paying for it simple. Just put your phone or your watch up there at the at the at the contact point and get out of there. You never signing no cash, but I. I'm too famous. I can't do that. Yeah, I understand that. But I don't understand toilet paper shortages in this. That's the one thing I, I don't. What what what, you're, what are you talking about? What are you? There, anything with alcohol. You mean isopropyl alcohol or bleach? That's because the. Shortage of eggs, butter, fat. I've read that. I've read that the meat producers, the farmers, the, I, I know the, the the food supply chain is under a lot of pressure. It uh, it really is. Let me see. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, I have to take a brief break, folks. But stand by. Come back right after this, and we'll get more of your phone calls in. So sit tight. Ha! How are you? Welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limbaugh, executing assigned host duties flawlessly. Zero mistakes. There might be some mistakes in the things that I don't assign. But those don't count because they weren't assigned. Because so many people are at home now, 24-7. Shopping online is up dramatically. And it, it was it was high to begin with, but now it's it's all there is. Now, accordingly, cybersecurity experts are noticing a big and proportionate increase in credit card skimming, which is another form of online identity theft. Now, the act of skimming happens when a cyber thief puts malware into a shopping page on your computer in an attempt to steal your credit card information. They get the information, and then they start making their own purchases. With your data, your credit card data, and you don't know about it till the next billing cycle. Now, there's always going to be a new way that cyber thieves look to get your information. There's never going to be a time where this kind of cyber fraud does not happen. You got to protect yourself from it. There are any number of ways that people do it. You know, the the maximum exposure of fifty bucks per card, and then you call a credit card company and get a new card, and they live. That's all well and good, but there's a better way. The best way to protect yourself online is with LifeLock. Now, as long as I've been urging this, there are those of you who know the name. So it's nothing new to you. 24-7, every day of the year, LifeLock's computer programs are sifting through billions of online transactions looking for evidence that... Their member's identity is being used without their permission in any number of ways of determining this. 
Now, when they see any of this evidence, they get in touch with their client, you, immediately, and ask, are you making this unusual purchase that we just noticed? Did you just open a bank account? You're not usually known for doing that. They're not spying on you. They just have uh, an algorithm that tracks your online behavior, and the computer follows it. Whenever there's anything outside it, that's when a human being is flagged, and that's when you get alerted. Now, if you end up being a victim of identity theft, LifeLock has what's called a restoration team. They step in there, and they take over, and they don't stop until the fraud is fixed. Now, no one company can prevent all identity theft, but LifeLock's protection is industry best. They're in a league all to themselves. Sign up today online at LifeLock.com, and you can um, you save as much as 25% on your first-year plan if you use my name when you sign up. You've heard about LifeLock all these years, and you've said, I don't need it. I'll take the risk. Now, with more online activity than ever because of retail shutdown, you might want to relook at it. LifeLock.com is the website. My name is the key to 25% off your first year's plan. Here's uh, Neil in Alliance, Nebraska. Great to have you. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just want to get straight to the point and sort of segue into it about culture. You know, we as a society, most people can't live pay. Most people in society, our society particularly, live paycheck to paycheck. So we have to work. So that means people coming to work sick or injured get a paycheck otherwise they're getting penalized for not working but it's the same thing for students at school when the parents send their students at school so my point is a lot of this is individual responsibility to keep the spread down but do we even pay attention to that as much as we should so i i, I, I what is your point are you saying we shouldn't reopen because people are going to go to work no, sick absolutely not but my point is it's our way of doing things is we go to work whether we're sick or injured in order to make paycheck, in order for us to sustain our way of life. But when we go sick, we're not only jeopardizing those around us at work, we're jeopardizing, you know, and we send as parents our kids to school that are sick, we're jeopardizing those that are around us. It's sort of a catch-22. Right. So what is, what is uh, what would be your solution to it in the context of reopening the economy? You know, if you're sick, stay at home. Um, if you have family members that are sick, stay at home. But, I mean, now you're going to suffer because you just can't bring in the money in order to help pay bills. But I I don't know. Get yourself fiscally responsible and be responsible for yourself when you're sick and those around you because some people don't. Well, have- it's a good framework. If you're sick, stay home. If you're vulnerable, stay home. If you're not, get out and go to work. Uh, look. I'm all for the task force, but I I have a bugaboo about bureaucracies and and reopening the United States economy as in a general sense should not be hard. But we're going to make it complicated. We're going to make it complex because we're going to plug so many different variables into it when maybe some of them are justified should we reopen in these areas first with this age group first uh with these industries first i can understand that i wish that we could just say this is over and everybody back to work tomorrow manage as best you can that's my dream 
That's going to require a vaccine. We don't have a vaccine. We would never have a vaccine. The next thing that is going to bring is herd immunity. But there's so many people opposed to herd immunity that even if we achieve it, they may deny that we have achieved it. But herd immunity, I believe, is what explains the relatively few numbers in California compared to, say, New York or or other places. But it's time to get going on this, regardless how it's done. Uh, There need to be some ideas put forth that people can support or not. But the effort needs to get serious. It needs to move beyond the talk phase now. There needs to be some action here because the longer this goes without action, the longer we're going to be shut down. I got to take a break. We'll come back and wrap it up three times on the button after this. Now, look at this. This is a poll. This is uh, Fox News. Biden's national lead over Trump disappears. Do you realize how irrelevant any presidential preference poll is right now? How utterly meaningless it is other than for political junkies and Washington, D.C. denizens. Okay. Thank you for being with us today, folks. I love it. I appreciate it. And we'll be right back here tomorrow. See you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man. He's called Mal Evans. He's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane and he said... Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.